Okay. Right. Oh, hello. Um, welcome to Launching Life at 60, a podcast aimed at women and men embarking on a big transition in their life to follow their passion. I'm Nobuko, your host, who's doing precisely that at 63, trying to reinvent herself after a career in journalism and banking. My guest today is Jim Prangi, once again, for part two of his extraordinary story. A couple of weeks ago, he told us of his horrendous experience of wrongful conviction and imprisonment over a white color crime he never committed. And today, he's going to talk to us about his ex expertise in private equity finance for startups, because this is a fascinating subject. Welcome back, Jim. Hey, Nobuko, it's great to be with you again. And uh, I look forward to our forthcoming conversation here today. Thank you very much. And uh, well, anyway, thank you for talking to me nearly two weeks ago for, near, for two hours. Thank you. But um, what was so heartwarming about that is, you know, despite what you've been through, your professional reputation was untarnished by the miscarriage of justice. Yeah, that's interesting the way that you put that. Um, yeah, I, I, there's, there's many people that have had quite the contrary experience, if you will. But in my case, oh, I'm sure there's some situations I'm not even aware of, right? Of people that I used to deal with that, that probably wouldn't want to deal with me because that's a normal reaction. The kickback reaction is, oh, you've been through some federal crime, therefore something is wrong with you, so I don't want to touch you. But in my case, it, I, I, it, didn't, it, it didn't happen. And again, it could just be because I wasn't dealing with some of those people anymore anyway. But it really, the timing, you know, if there was a good time to uh, be set up in a crime, I guess it was good to have that happen after I was 60 instead of when I was 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 in a, a big budding upswinging career, because that can put a major deterrent on your career growth. So, so you had a strong enough reputation in the market for people to know what you're really worth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's a, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 And um, but so you're now back working as a consultant, aren't you, aren't you, in equity financing in between writing your first book and podcasting? Right. No, that is, that is true. I, um, I, prior to, Prior to my uh, 2013 conviction, um, I had worked for a number of years with my co-defendant, uh, who was a longtime securities attorney in suburban Milwaukee. He was very, very well known for working with early stage companies. It's what he did. And he's always had a gratuitous heart, is how I will put it. And, and, and if a new company would come to him, he'd listen to their story. And it was just two lawyers, um, but they were both expertise at securities work. His partner had worked in the Wisconsin State Securities Commissioner's office. So they understood very well. So Rich, um, when I met him in 1995, um, he actually said, hey, would you like to work on, because he understood where I was coming from, having raised capital for large companies. 
-hmm. And so he asked if I would like to get involved working with early stage companies. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> little did I know that Rich had not just one, three or five opportunities, but pretty soon there's 12 companies or 14 or 15 companies. Mm -hmm. And it got to be a real balancing juggling act with mm -hmm. these particular situations. But Rich, um, I suppose his, his most prominent position was working um, on the board, I should say working on the board for 21 years of a very good sized regional, regional suburban Milwaukee bank. And Which he was, one? Do we know? Well, I know that they ultimately got bought out by BMO. Okay, right. So BMO bought them out. Uh, the bank used to be, it was called Grafton State Bank. Grafton okay. is a city north of Milwaukee. Okay. And uh, so that's, that's where he was involved and worked very hands-on with the whole bank operation. But then other companies would come and they would be various types. And what, what made Rich different, most law firms, things have changed a little bit today, but most law firms, they wouldn't have any interest in not getting paid their fees. They want to get their hourly rate or they'll cut some arrangement. Rich's world, he would say, hey, I will take stock. I know you don't have much money or hardly any money. So I'll take back in stock. Yeah. And he did that and did that and did that repeatedly. So he, he would find companies. Sometimes companies would, I guess, find me and I would bring them to Rich. And so through the course of really the, I'm just thinking this through 1995, six, seven. Yeah. Through the course of the late nineties, to the year 2000, we had worked on a number of companies. I'll quantify a little bit later as we go through here. So Rich, instead of taking fees, he'd be paid in kind. I mean, he'd, he'd, he'd buy, he'd, he'd, he'd get he the stock. And it, and, and of, of, of unproven, unknown startup companies. Exactly. And I, and I would, in some of those companies, I would get stacked too. I mean, I got stock certificates that are worthless. Yeah. <laughs> because you take stock, yeah. you're, try, you're trying to help, but you also got to try to still be able to live too. Yes. So that's, that's a whole nother balancing act. But the element is that in the year 2000, in the year 2000, I had read about a company locally where I live, which again is an hour north of Milwaukee. And I, I, um, I went, wait a minute, this is what I do. They were looking to raise some capital. So I reached out to them. Um, I had a meeting with the, with the founder of the company. We hit it off. We spent two hours and he said, hey, I like you. I'd like to meet who you work with, your attorney partner. Within three days, we had another meeting with the head of the board and bing, 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 bang. And they got us engaged. And we started putting together uh, securities offering, um, adjusting the one they had. And then it was my mission to work to help them start finding some equity capital. They already had attracted about 200, 250,000 from about five investors, but that's all that was there when I got there. And six and a half, seven years later, we had about 420 investors. And these were people that put in anywhere from $1,000 to $2 million. 
it just was a wide variety. And it was a lot of people in the, um, in the neighborhood, let's call it. And the biggest thing I would hear would be people would say, because I'd say, well, why did you, why did you want to invest in, in this company, in Orion? And they would say, well, it's local. I don't have to worry about sending my money to some New Jersey company where I can never see what's happening. And they had that local spirit of helping a local company. And I will say from that point forward, whenever I was dealing with another small early stage company, I would always advise the founder, particularly if they're in a smaller area, go to people, go to the banks or go to accountants and find out who potential investors are in your area. You know, don't sit and think, oh, I've got to find a big New York City firm. Yeah, right. They have a whole different opinion of small town Midwest America. So anyway, setting that aside. So I got involved in Orion and I'll, I'll can I, should I walk through that story with Orion a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Can you tell us what, what line of business this company was in? Yeah, it was in energy efficiency lighting. Okay. Energy efficiency lighting. Okay. And a phrase that actually I came up with over time was, and it's always, how do you create sound bites? How do you, you know, the old elevator pitch that everybody's heard that statement, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how do you create a sound bite? And it took a long time, but pretty soon the sound bite was twice the light for half the price. Okay. Okay. Wait yeah. a minute. Twice the light? And I only have price. to pay half as much? Hmm. That, that rung, that resonated. It resonated yeah, yeah, with yeah, yeah, yeah. customers too. And you so came up with that. I did. Okay. Yep. okay. Yeah. And, and in the, um, in 2000, when I got involved there, the company was doing $2 million in sales, losing 500,000. That's not a good situation. Um, and you, you have to raise equity capital to continue or get additional bank financing to continue. And so we started implementing strategies, one of which was getting more investors. And in the first round, we raised $1 million, right? And it was 73 different investors. And the last guy came in and he it was the coolest meeting. He's just a casual guy. He comes in and we know he had some money. And he said, well, how much is left? And I said, well, there's 200,000 left. He said, okay, I'll give you a check for that. <laughs> now, the founder's wife, because his money was tight, she came into the room with the founder and myself, and, and she worked in the company. And she looked at the check and she said, oh, great, 20 grand. <laughs> and I looked back at her and said, no, no, Pat, take another look. And she goes, oh, my God, 200 grand. And that it, was, it was an amazing day because it was an early company. And that was a major, major movement, if you will. And it closed out our first round. And then we progressed to create another round at a little bit of a step up in valuation. But our sales, the first two years, they went from four million, from 2 million to 4 million, and then 4.4, 4.8. But then things started taking off. And then we went 8, 16, 32, 48. So in that time frame, when we did $48 million, it was the industry was pretty hot, the energy efficiency industry. And so it was to create an, a, an initial public offering, an IPO. And so 
I was, because of raising capital, I spent some time in New York City. And prior to us doing an IPO, there was a investment banking firm that I got to know who ultimately put in $5 million. Um, that was even more substantial than 200,000, but it kept, it kept propelling the growth, if you will, of the company. So here we were, this little bitty $2 million company losing 500,000. Now in the year 2007, we did a $100 million initial public offering opening at uh, a stock price of 13, but it didn't trade at 13. The first trade was about 1650. And within a week, it went to $22.48. Now, people that were shareholders could not sell initially because of a lockup agreement. You may be familiar with that. Um, a lockup agreement means that if you're involved in an IPO, typically the brokerage firm is going to say, we don't want this inside or any of the shareholders to sell their stock in the first six months. So everyone had to sign a lockup. If they could have sold those first six months, they'd have done even more phenomenal than what they did. So I'm gonna share this second story with you because it's just kind of cool. So there was a local- um, yeah, Just before contract. you go, you, you, can, you just, can I ask you just one thing? This, this company, I mean, the, the, the energy efficient lights, were they made in China or were they made locally? They were made right in our facility. Really? Now, made the in the US? Made in the US. The light bulbs, different story. The light bulbs were Oz, typically Osram, Sylvania, and they were generally made in China. Yeah. But the fixtures themselves, okay. totally, totally de developed right in our facility. And so our, facility, our facility grew substantially as well. I see. So, it's a major contribution to local economy, isn't it? Absolutely. And when you go from seven people employed to 160 people employed, and if you average the salaries, that's a lot of input in a little small area because our town was about 8,000 people. So, and about 130,000 in the county. So a major economic impact, absolutely. So, so in this first round, I mentioned there were 73 people. Of the 73 people, one of them was a contractor, uh, an electrical contractor, and he had invested $25,000. And two different times, after he invested in 2001, he wanted out. And he would call me and he would say, Jim, get me out. I don't trust it. I don't think it's going to work. I'd like to get my money back. Now, in a, in a, in a unique situation, I ended up really creating a secondary market before there was anything that was publicly traded. And what I mean by that is once you invest in a private company, your money's locked up and you don't have access to it until the company sells or does something that creates a liquidity event. So we, um, we knew we were gonna ultimately someday go public, but that could be a long time out. So he just wanted out. I talked him into it. I said, don't do that, Dennis, stay in this investment. So this will give you an idea of how people did. So he stayed in the investment from 2001 until 2007 when we went public. And ultimately, I was at little gatherings where he told the story that Jim talked me into staying in this deal. My 25,000 came back as 525,000. 
So he made over 20 times his money, which means people in the first round all did extremely well, all extremely well. Including the guy who wrote a check for $200,000. Oh, absolutely. He would have made, I'm going to say 20 times his money. And how did you talk him out of it? Um, Somehow at the time, I guess I used an assembly of proper wording, whatever it was. I mean, I basically, I always, I always tell people what it is. Here's exactly what's going on. Here's a situation. Here's what we're doing. Here's how the projected growth can take place. That's no guarantee. These are things that we're working on to try to create to establish this continuing growth plan of business. And, and he believed what I told him. And you believed it too, obviously. I did. Because I, I, I always gathered information from the CEO, from the, the chief financial officer, the operations guy. And I would do a quarterly newsletter to all the investors to keep them apprised. And, and there's nothing that people like more than knowing what's going on. What they hate in early stage companies is not knowing what's and having no communication. They like to, good or bad, they like to know what is happening. So was, my advice was your stake in it too. Did you have a stake? In it? Did you have a stake in the company too? Yeah, right. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's like a little team. Everybody's, you know, pulling to try to make it all be a successful situation. Which again, to your point, it's good for the community. So all these yeah. local people that invested, um, yeah, they did. They did well, and that would have helped them for whatever else they did with it. But, but apart from your time, do you invest in the company that you're helping financially? Um, you need. How would I best phrase that? Uh, most of the time, no. Okay. Because yeah, yeah because it's unethical. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of it's it's kind of you know, the the element is that I put in just like I'm, what I'm doing now. I put in time to try to help you, Mister mm-hmm. Entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and and I may or may not make anything mm-hmm. on you along mm-hmm. the way. And mm-hmm. so and so so now I'll come back to what I mentioned the word quantify before. So after the Orion situation, so then. 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, those years, Rich, Rich and I circled back together mm-hmm. because he had been the securities attorney for quite some time until the Orion moved, stepped up to a mm-hmm. larger, much larger firm. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. But then we went back to doing companies again. And now all of a sudden it was somewhat crazy. Now we've got this 10 or 12 or 15 different companies and the days were massively long because you've first you've got to try to familiarize yourself with the company uh, so you know what you're talking about and then find any people that would express an interest which can include brokerage firms um, um, not large wirehouses but the smaller types of broker dealer firms and challenging process if you will so over that time frame of Prior to 2000, probably 95 to 2000, and then after 2007, so 2008 to 13, I probably dealt with between 60 and 65 different early stage companies where the founder had an idea, he created a business plan, uh, he needed a securities attorney 
to put together documentation for him to go out and try to raise some money. These were from things all over the board of different types of areas and industries. And, and then, so in Rich's case, he would be the securities attorney. I would be the person trying to reach out to try to find maybe from some past investors I had dealt with, but more so from trying to get firms to have some interest in taking on dealing with this particular individual. Um, most times it didn't work. Most times it didn't work. And if you talk to an investment, let's say an investment banking firm or a large fund where they make investments in 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 companies, everyone's going to give you a little different standard. But generally, if one or two of those work, that, of course, pays for the non-working of the other eight or nine. Yeah. It's, it, it, there's just a rule of thumb. And it, it, if you're lucky, lucky, super lucky, and hit all 10, that's great. That, that does, that's, that's the abnormality. That's extremely rare that that's going to happen. And there's so many, there's so many challenges. The entrepreneur doesn't always understand that challenges can include governmental challenges with regulatory issues. You don't know when some entity is going to step in. Could be the EPA. It could be um, various different states, Department of Natural Resources. Different things can occur that's not always considered at the very beginning. At the very beginning, the entrepreneur's got a great idea, a great product, a great prototype that he's developed. Everything's great in his mind, but what he has to what he has to do is he has to either be born wealthy that helps anybody right which doesn't always translate because guys born wealthy aren't exactly your best entrepreneur you've ever seen no. and right so you have to have the the internal entrepreneurial drive and you have to have capital if you don't have one of those scratch that if you don't have both of those if you, if you just, you can't keep pushing through and working to make it happen, or you can't keep stringing yourself along, however you come up with money. I've heard guys say they jokingly, they turn over the couch to find whatever loose changes in there so they can try to make payroll. That took place at Orion early in the early days. And that was humorous, but things were tight, very tight. So if you can't push through, if you don't have the drive and the spirit to push through your idea and attract capital, it isn't going to work. It's just so, not going to So what was it about this Orion's entrepreneur, the owner, that made the it owner, happen? He can sell snow to the Eskimos. I see. He was, he's, he's charismatic. He's knowledgeable. He's... Uh, not a very educated guy, but he's very smart. And he knew how to create a product and he knew how to market a product. And, and that helped him dramatically. And he was able to get some people, two people that backed him on signing on bank lines of credit because he didn't have the money to do it. So, but salesmanship, he was, he was terrific, terrific salesperson. And you got it. Being an entrepreneur, you got to have some quality to drive that that through, you know. And 
again, things have opportunities, the enhancement of technology. We didn't have that in the year 2000. We didn't have that in 2007. Oh, we had some, of course, but you know, the internet came around in 1996. Obviously that's been helpful and, and all of the computerization has been helpful, but the, the blossom and the boom that's happened in the last five years, I mean, just like doing Zoom calls, things that you can do that can help reduce your expenses per se. I mean, in, in our Orion days, one day Neil came in and he said, we got to get an airplane. <laughs> I, I can't get to some of these places. It takes too long to fly a commercial or to have to drive. And he had a friend who was a pilot and he had him be our first pilot with his plane. And, and then we had other planes along the way so he could fly to different places. And we knew the more presentations he could make, the more successful the company would be because nobody could sell like him. He knew everything, he knew his product so well. So he, he needed a private plane to get investors. That, that, there is truth to that, um, but even more so to get large customers, to get large customers, right? Getting large firms um, in the early days of the product because of the reduction in energy the biggest competition, this will sound a little strange, the biggest competition that we had was inaction of the part of the client. The client or the customer not believing that their energy costs would get cut in half. They didn't believe it in the early days. They would say to Neil, uh, you got to give it a year. And he would say, what do you mean a year? You just saw two months of where it went down dramatically. It's not going to get any different. And he in some respects, had a fight to get business sometimes because at corporations, what do people want to preserve? Their job. And if they make the wrong decision, could it cost them their job? Maybe. And change is making a decision that may or may not fit with the corporate policy. And if it doesn't work out, somebody's head's going to roll. And so these purchasing agents, purchasing managers, there was a lot of, and I had discussions with some of these guys, why the hell don't you want to do this? Well, you know, inaction, total inaction many times. And that's what people got to deal with that are creating products out there, getting people to buy into what their product is, whatever that product happens to be. So, you know, saying you want to be an entrepreneur and going out and doing it and succeeding at it, you got a hell of a lot of roadblocks in front of you that you don't even know yet until you get involved. That's why you got to have the passion and the drive and the internal fortitude, and you got to have access to money, or your odds are unbelievably challenging. And this Orion's um, owner, what's his name? His name is Neil Verfurth. Neil, okay. Neil, Verfurth. Yep. Neil um, what I mean, so he, he had a drive, he was a uh, he had passion and drive. He did. Like he no very, one else. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Like no one else. I mean, I've back in the capital days of raising money for large real estate companies. I mean, those guys, but that was on a big, big platform. These were, you know, we, we raised $320 million one year or 250 one year. And these are good sized big companies, if you will, 
But now when I'm dealing with a small company, I mean, it's rare that of all these different 60 plus companies, I very few people would have an equaling passion that Neil had. And he's very, very, very driven guy. No question about it. And uh, yeah. And he was, he, in the early days, it was extremely enjoyable. But sometimes when a little bit of success happens, sometimes other things can happen too to those that are in charge in, in any company. So, but our success was, was very significant. I think it was Brian Rose who said, if you look at all the successful people, um, they, I think he, he used Microsoft's Bill Gates as an example. I, I don't think he's, he's the best example, but anyway, but all, all those people worked so many hours and most of them slept in their offices. Sure. Yeah, those, those, those things can, can and have happened. So I, I so understand. Neil worked 24-7, do you think? He was, he was living the business all the time, all the time. I mean, he'd go out to dinner most nights of the week, lots of times with customers or other people that worked at the company. The interesting thing about Neil, Neil always bought and always drove. So if you're going with Neil and you're, you're going in his car and he's buying, I mean, I, I saw him speak more times than anybody because I was in charge of raising the money. And, and, and Neil, Neil was unique that way. I mean, he was just very, very gracious, very, very much so. A lot, of, a lot of good qualities that way. I see. He wasn't just hardworking, but he had personal skills. Oh, he did. Yeah, he, he had personal skills, good human relations, dealings with, per, with perspective people. You know, I've always, I've, I'm going to share one point. I've always believed this. I watch like everybody, we watch whatever we choose to watch. And so if I'm watching US-based news programs and, and a politician comes on or some other individual comes on, I'll always pay attention to what the person getting interviewed says. In other words, what did I say to you in the beginning? Because you said, hey, we're welcoming back Jim. And I said, well, thank you, Nabucco. It's really great to be here. So many people don't use your name. They just say, oh, thank you. And then when they get done, they do the same thing. They'll, they'll, the, the host will say, you know, hey, Steve, I'm really glad that you would spend time with us. And Steve will say, oh, thank you. And answer. Instead of the human relations aspect, last night I saw Greg Abbott, who's the, who's the governor of, of Texas. Yes, yes. And the guy that was interviewing was Greg Kelly yeah. and Greg. And so Greg Abbott, when he comes on the interview, he said, Hey, Greg, it's great to be on here. During the course of the conversation, he used Greg's name more than a couple of times. And at the very end, Greg Abbott said, Hey, Greg, I appreciate having been on your show. Now that is just so huge. It's so small, but yeah. to me, it's so huge. Because it's that personal, personal, personal. Because what's the most important thing in everybody's in everybody's mind? Their name. If I said your name wrong, you're going to remember that. Yes. Right? Names are so important because so much of this is about relationships. It's personal relationships. It's Brian who we're talking about. He's built up some trust 
that some of these guys that are pretty prominent come back and are on his next show and his next show. And it's part relationship building. You know, the internet's never going to take that one away, right? Amazon's not going to take that away. Relationships help so many things happen. And, and I've always believed that. So it's a skill that I, I marvel why more people don't use that skill. Call the person by his or her name. And, and um, Neil did that. Oh, yeah, all the time. All the time. Yeah. I mean, not ridiculous, but he, yeah. would, he would always put that in. He did that. He was, he was good at that. You bet. Human relations, personal, building good, warm feelings, building trust. You know, and that doesn't mean everybody dropped everything to, to get involved in Orion, but it just means in the cumulative of things, it all worked or we wouldn't have been able to go from $2 million in sales to a $100 million IPO. It was, it was a great success story in a little town in Wisconsin. Who's ever going to think that's going to happen? And then we had three big New York City and San Francisco uh, brokerage firms that did the underwriting. You know, so it, 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 it proves it can happen, but you got to have all the right buttons pushed to keep things moving along favorably. And sometimes you need that a word called luck that helps everybody too. So. Uh, is he still in Wisconsin? Yeah, he is. He's about 35 miles from where I am right now. And uh, I actually talked to him about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. uh, just uh, touch base. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, um, so, yeah, he's out. He's actually is involved in a different company that he formed. Uh, each situation has other extenuating things that I'll, I'll leave aside, if you will. But he formed a new company uh, about four years after Orion. Orion's still functioning. Did uh, he sell Orion? Well, because it was all stock, it was all publicly traded. Yes. <laughs> Everybody had their shares. Right. So he chose to do with his shares as he, as he chose to do. I mean, yes. Orion's gone through different spikes and plateaus. I mentioned it was 2248. Yeah. And then certain things happened. Yeah. And all of a sudden, 12, 7, mm -hmm. 3, <laughs> mm -hmm. 1, right? And now it's back up to about 6 or 7. So, um, it's, you know, like a lot of stories, I could, I could give you all the points and the details. And it's, it's it, it, every, every, you know, like everything, every story's got more side stories. So the focus course has been on early stage companies and capital formation. And that's where I'm, I'm going to keep it with that. Sure. Um, so along the way, you mentioned that there's probably a lot of budding entrepreneurs in London. Yes. Or well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we need budding entrepreneurs, but banks mm -hmm. aren't helping them. They'd rather apparently uh, lend to people buying assets. It's true. Because That's of that why banks are not really helping the economy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like here, too. I mean, go back to, to Neil. He used to say, you know, the damn banks, you know, they want to make you loans when you don't need the loans. They don't want to make you the loan when you need the loan. That's how it is. It's how it is. And so the best, again, you, you private people. I mean, there's wealthy people everywhere. 
right? You know, they could be in a small little town in four hours, three hours north of London that could be worth $6 billion, right? There's, it, it, it's kind of, those are not easy to people to deal with. That's a whole nother story. But the element is that privately, I mean, you're starting these early stage companies, you either, you either got to get friends and family to back you, you have to have your own assets to back you, or you have to find dollars to back you. And maybe there's some other ways, but those are the primary ways of getting capital to be able to take an idea and move it forward. I mean, everybody, 7 billion people today will have an idea for a new business. Those 7 billion aren't going to act on it. The number is going to go through a massive funnel and only this many are going to act on it and this many are going to succeed. But we don't hear about all those stories. We hear about the success stories. Oh, how Bill Gates did this wonderfully. And oh, how Jeff Bezos did this. And how this big guy did this. Why don't we write about some of the stories where people got devastated because of things that have happened to them along the way to help other people that are trying to move forward with their business idea of things to look out for. It's not to discourage people. I'm not trying to discourage people from trying to invent, implement their idea. But it's, as I say, there's roadblocks all over the place. And in, in, when, when you're upbeat and optimistic, you're not thinking about the roadblocks that are going to be challenged to you along the way. So what are uh, the things to look, look out for? I mean, is there a common thread among people who failed? I mean, you said that um, the most important thing is the drive, the passion of the entrepreneur. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. And although it's, it's you know, it's world of hard finance, you, you need, you need people skills. It's interesting that Neil, Neil was generous with people, it, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Trusted I him. mean, there's plenty of people and it was principally males. I cannot say maybe there were a couple of females. I'm thinking of one now that was a lawyer. Principally, people I dealt with were males that were trying to drive their company. And some of these people were incredibly bland. And if I wasn't yeah. trying to help them, I would say, why would I want to put any money with him? Yeah. It's just not, not to suggest that bland can't be successful. But I just think that people want to deal with people that they like, that there's a little uplifting from. Because, I mean, life is what it is. There's enough challenges every day. And so the element is, if you're going to get involved in a company, you're going to want to kind of like what's going on. And, and so what's happened here in the States uh, was, was the proliferation of angel groups. Now, angel groups can go back to the probably the 60s and 70s in Silicon Valley but not so much in Wisconsin. And in the 90s, um, hell, even in the 2000s, in the 10 years ago, I would go to these conferences and I would listen to all of these good gobbledygook by the speakers saying, oh, we just need to get capital formation in Wisconsin because why are all the tech companies in New York or in Austin or in San Francisco? Why can't we have more in Wisconsin? And I remember raising a question once, have you ever taken a look at the profile of the Wisconsin investor? 58% are German, 
10 or 20% are Dutch. Let's put that into perspective. These are people that are risk averse and they're not about taking all kinds of risk on and they're cheap. And the guy that was the securities commissioner actually made a comment. He said, I'm not sure who that person is that asked that question. And I don't normally say this, but I do things in Minneapolis and I deal with Wisconsin and he's right. Minneapolis, whole different mindset. In Minneapolis, it, it's, it's a very big, um, how would you say? They do a lot of instruments, uh, medical instruments, tech instruments that are created in the, in the greater Minneapolis area. People are used to investing in projects. And, and in some situations, what I don't think people realize is if, if, if an investor loses money, he's not going to reinvest because he got burnt once. Now, that doesn't mean Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley, they can lose 10 times in a row and they're back in there because they know the odds are going to work at some particular point where a Facebook comes along or a PayPal or whatever. And all of a sudden, five to one, 10 to one is ridiculous. These guys are making 5,000 to one on their money. And that has happened many times. It doesn't happen here in Wisconsin. But more lately, because of tech inventions, there's been a few companies that have actually gone up and become uh, pretty sizable. Sizable means more than a billion dollars of valuation, right? That started from nothing. And in, in Wisconsin, Madison is, is becoming more and more of a hub for some of that. But that still doesn't mean the other 98% of the little guys are having all their challenges to keep trying to grow. Are and, your uh, investors typically institutions or individuals? In, over the time, principally, let's use that Orion timeframe again. It was almost always individuals. And, and, and then that $5 million investment was from an institutional. But everything else was private people. Some wealthy guys in, in Milwaukee that liked us, you know, to them putting in 250000 was nothing. And then they put in another 250000 You know, it's all relative. It's what's, relative. The, what's the smallest investment someone made in that particular case? In, in our company, in Orion, it was less than $1,000. Okay. And generally, would, we wouldn't have done that normally. But I just remember there are some people that, that I liked that, you know, kind of said, hey, I'd really like to get involved, but I only have this much liquid. So I would talk to Neil and he'd say, oh, what the hell, right? We always had to be careful of the number of, there's a term called accredited and non-accredited. We had to be careful of the amount of non-accredited investors we had. Those with a net worth of less than a million dollars versus those with a net worth of more than a million dollars. And you could only, you were limited to 35 of the non-accredited. So you couldn't just load up with those. And so it was always a little bit of a balancing, so to speak. So if we had room, it would be, hey, the guy can maybe be helpful to us. And we would, these people would help us get business too. See, that was the cool part. If you can get your investors to actually try to help you get more business, that's a good thing. Instead of just being a passive investor. And we had that happen where people knew people in different states. Hey, you should call my friend uh, over here in Pennsylvania. He's got a, a manufacturing facility. He could use 
better lighting for half the price. So that's, that's an art too of getting your investors to be beneficial to you as a company. Now, again, that's steps away from the early stage guy. The early stage guy has just got to get himself beyond the idea and into capitalization and into just getting his product, whatever his product is, get it out there so he can at least try to monetize that product. So basically, are you, I mean, are these investors, are they experienced investors or are they not necessarily? Not necessarily. They might be first time yeah, investors. Yeah, some of them were first time investors. I shouldn't say maybe they had invested in the stock market, but they had never invested in a, in a, in a small early stage private company. I mean, how do you find and, these people? Well, that's a million dollar question. That's a trade secret. Yeah, I mean, every now we get into what every state. I mean, I mean, I'm only dealing in the United States here because I don't know foreign country policies. But in the United States, each state has its own securities commissioner. And there's different policies in each state. So all that mattered here was Wisconsin. And Wisconsin, there was, if you followed a certain procedure, they allowed you to do a specific type of offering where you could put an ad in the newspaper. Yeah, You could put an ad in the newspaper. There were days where they wouldn't allow any of that because, oh my God, how risky. But then they came around and allowed that. If they never would have allowed that, I would never have known who Orion was because I saw the little ad in our local newspaper and that provoked me to call to get information about that company. So it, it can be hard. It's a very good question, Nabucco. It's how do you find the people? Um, again, if I, if I was, I was moving to some other city in, in, in Wisconsin small town, starting up a business, and I had to go out and find investors, I'm going to go see the accountants and the lawyers and get to know them because they know who's got the money in their area and who can potentially be helpful. This can go on in any town now in other countries too. But you found Orion through the advert, okay? So you decided to help help Orion, okay? But from from there on, how how, how do you go about finding investors? potential investors. Right. Well, one of one of the ways was people we did work for. So, so a company a company would say, "Okay, we'll put your lights in and we'll try it out." And then all of a sudden, some of them would be interested in buying stock in the company. Not everybody, not everybody by means, but there were times Neil would call me and he would say, "Hey Jim, I just was with this guy in this state. He expressed an interest. Follow up." And that that is, that is my key word. Everyone, everyone in, in the forming a company, if they implement the words called follow-up, that can make all the difference in the world. If you, if you don't follow up with people, you know, you know so you, you got to have the entrepreneurial drive. You've got to have access to capital, but you also got to follow up. Be true to your message and follow up with people because sometimes things can change and people have better interest in you. So I was always staying on top of people um, and people are funny. I want to tell you a funny story. There's a, there was a local attorney up here who in January, this is years ago, he said to me, Jim, I absolutely am putting money in. I want to get involved here. I'm flying to Florida today. 
I'm going to drop, I've got everything in the envelope. I'm going to drop it in the mail. Six months later, it still hadn't come. And what I learned was potential investors, I don't know what it is, but sometimes they have this feeling that even if they tell you that they're going to do it, they they still don't do it. Yeah. So now I could have stopped, but about eight or nine months later, you know, I'd follow up and I'd follow up with him. I just touch him base to seeing how you're coming. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So like I say, eight or nine months later, it finally, he finally actually put it in the mail. I see. And it all worked out great for him. Um, Unfortunately, he passed away a few years later, but nonetheless, there's, 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 in every industry, there's little side stories all the time. But how do you go about, I mean, if Neil gave you some contacts, then it's useful, but it is really down to you to find investors, isn't it? So how do you find out investors? How do you, how do you reach out? To I, new- well, you, I mean, you kind of, in some respects, if you have five investors, those are people that at least trusted you. So you guys know anybody else that might have an interest. Maybe one guy will say, I've got this friend. You ought to give him a call. Okay, we'll do that. And then, then there's another job that took place where somebody put in lighting and, oh, well, let's, let's, let's touch base and see. Do you like your lights? Yeah, they're great. Hey, we have this investment opportunity. So you just keep leveraging and leveraging I and see. leveraging. So you keep growing within... I mean, if you have success, if, if you buy a, a product, a beauty product, and you think it's fabulous, and all of a sudden you find out that they're, they're, they're accepting shareholders, you might have a motivation to say, hmm, I can see where this pro- company could be successful. And so some of those things would take place. I did speeches. I, I went to Milwaukee and I did speeches to a group of potential uh, investors. Yeah, potential yeah. investors. That's what they do, isn't it? They have kind of seminars for potential investors. Yeah. So I did that. You know, sometimes there were little one-minute, little one-minute things or five-minute things. I would give highlights. What did that work? Didn't work fantastically. No. Did it work a little bit? It did. So I mean, if you do five things and only three work, you only got three. If you do fifty things and ten work, you st- at least you got ten. So you just kind of keep throwing things against the wall in terms of continuing to attract. And then sometimes you get people that want to add to their investment. So it really was a large combination. And, and what we did, we meaning Orion, what we always did <laughs> was every local newspaper, we had a, we had a, 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 a VP of communications, Steve, and Steve, would always reach out to the company that just had the lights put in. And we always did analysis of how much the dollar savings was. And we prepared sheets on this. And so we, we, Steve would reach out to the company owner. Then he'd coordinate with the newspaper. And there would always be a newspaper article in every newspaper, whatever town that these new lights would have gone into. And you, you, you know, sometimes you get comments. So it, it really, it's like a master plan where you kind of keep working off. Again, nobody's a bigger believer. Hi, Cora. <laughs> nobody's a bigger believer in your product than a pe- purple letter using your product. 
And so that, so it's really a compendium. It's just doing a lot of different things. And what is the skill set that you bring? What is it? What is your expertise? What makes you? What, why, why do you think Neil gave the business to you? Uh, what do you bring fair. to the table? Um, well, sometimes if people are from small areas, they may perceive the guy that spent time living in Chicago like, oh my, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of like if I'm from where I'm from and I'm meeting someone from London in financial, it'd be like, oh, wow, the Voyager from afar. And there are companies that love to use companies that are out of their area. So in my world, what he liked immediately was he liked the idea that I've done this before, that, that, that here I am in his immediate area. I had done this before in other companies. He didn't know to what extent. And we had good engagement, good, good communication flow going back and forth. And he liked that. Um, I mean, I, you know, if you want to talk about a job interview, I came in, I had just worked out. I, I was, I was sweating. I had a t-shirt on and a pair of shorts. <laughs> it wasn't like I put on a suit to go meet him. And it, it was just, we were real people and hit it off immediately. And maybe it was a matchup of good personality. Um, and then when he found out about Rich, the securities attorney, he had been dealing with a firm from New York City. Right, New York City's a long ways away from where we were, so it was a good, it was good timing. It was a good matchup because of past experience. Is it that you have contacts? I mean, what what makes you who you are, Jim? Hmm. Well, when as, I was as, really, as, a, as an equity finance equity finance yeah. expert. Well, I mean, I mean, I again, I I I I'm not I'm not I'm. However, my voice inflections may be, and however my presentation may be. I'm not a hype. I'm, I'm not. And people, I've heard that multiple times. They trust me. They believe me. They like how my how my voice tone is, how I present, my eye contact. Um, I don't hype. It's not. It's not bullshit. Oh, this is going to happen, and then it never happens, right? It's like um, consistency. And consistency, people people begin to to trust me to believe me that it's going to happen. Even if I tell them, look, this isn't going to happen. Whatever they're telling you, it's not going to happen uh, at this particular juncture. Now it may happen in six months, but he's being early. Right. So I addressed this fact the last time when I was on with you, the person that I deal with that is incarcerated, he is a, for better, for worse. He was a massively successful business guy, but he has an embellishment problem. And he embellishes and embellishes, and you don't know what's 100% true and what's not true. And I don't ever do that. I'm not going to embellish and 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 speak bull. So I think. So I think all of that is is help, is helpful. And it's not as if that you've got, um, uh, you know, a database full of potential investors to to bring to your client you have to start from scratch every time right pause for one second yeah sure 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 here i gotta have you go up on me come on huh i don't know who you're talking about she's got to go high 
Okay. You start from scratch, or do you have a kind of, you know, books, I mean, your database full of um, potential investors to bring to your clients every time? Well, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, there was, I mean, no, no, no mistaking to it. When you have success like we had at Orion with people that are making 20 times their money or three times their money, yeah. that, that, that buys you some, some time of going forward with other particular projects. Sure, 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 and sure. So there were some situations where people, they would, because they trusted me, because they had success, and it would be like, yeah, I can get back involved in another situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and every situation that I presented, that doesn't mean it's going to work out. There are situations that have never worked out, right? And people have lost money. That happens, right? If it's your only money you're investing, don't invest it, right? You have to have liquidity available because these are risky investments. These are no sure things. It's no yeah. guarantee, right? At, at all. And, and even if things are going good, things can still go bad. <laughs> so, so, so what do you do when, when, uh, when you face failures, when, you know, when, when the company that you helped raise capital didn't go as well as you'd envisaged? What do you do with, with the investors who trusted you? Yeah, you tell you it like it money, is. money, what do you? You take them as it is. This is, this is, this is, this is how it is. I oh mean, my God. This is, you know, there's a situation where we raised over $15 million on a company. It was all going to work. It was an early stage pharmaceutical company. And, um, and, you know, it may have worked. But now when you get the guy who became the CEO that's stealing money from the company, that changes the stakes a little bit and was lying, if you will, to the board of directors about what he was doing. And um, yeah, people are not happy about it. I can tell you about the guys that I know well that had 850,000 in it. And, uh, but he came into other projects after that. And so each, you, you just, you, all you can do is be honest with people and they'll either choose to get involved more or they won't, or you never go back to them because again, there were over 400, thousand four hundred thousand what am I saying four hundred different shareholders in Orion and 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 that was all helpful to me for quite some time but again I do now it's really more just consulting of helping companies figure out their path so to speak not so much at all of bringing investors to the company <laughs> now I want to do more of what you and I are doing I mean I really do yeah podcasting I just spoke to an old friend a couple of days ago from Chicago. And uh, he, he, I, I asked him, I said, hey, Joe, you ever been on a podcast? He's like, no. <laughs> and he's like, really? Yeah, I, I'd love to do that. And, and he's, you know, even in London, I'm sure they have a thing called process servers where you're being sued. And so they've got guys that go serve people, right? Okay. It's called a process server that initiates litigation. And he has served over 40,000 people in his career. That's a lot of people, a lot of people. 
And so he's got some fascinating stories. And it's just another aspect to my criminal justice or the injustices of the justice system to really to do that. But again, I'm not short of yourself. I'm not doing any podcasts yet till probably, probably the fall. Because again, just in talking with my editor, our target is late August right now. Yes. For the book to be able to be released. That could mean September. So I'm I'm kind of forming a list of people. But as you know, there's an enjoyment of doing it too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's yeah. Doing it. And and you know, to Brian's extent, yeah, which is great, but he's been doing it for eleven years. Yeah, it can build. I mean, I can think of people I'd love to be doing this with. I just don't know that they would give a damn about who, whoever I may be, right? Because everybody's only got so much time every day, and it's how they allocate their time. So, but I managed to get you to come on this show twice. But just just going back to entrepreneur, you know, um, you know, helping out entrepreneurs. So when so you, you've 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 helped some people make millions. So. W- and what is your reward? Well, generally, I mean, let's use Orion. I, I was given shares early in the company. Yeah. The company stock split. We split a couple times. So that means my shares amount went up. Mm-hmm. Um, so short of some issues that happened in my ending days with Orion, which mm-hmm. is another long podcast, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, when it all got finalized, it all got finalized favorably. Mm-hmm. It's just that it, I didn't get it quite when I was thinking it was going to happen mm-hmm. for various items and issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so by getting stock in the company, certainly I got paid a salary. I got mm-hmm. paid a salary um, while I was there, plus getting stock. Okay. And the, the stock so can, is your reward. So it can be financially rewarding. That's it. Oh, it can be financially rewarding. rewarding. Okay. Has it Absolutely. made you a millionaire? Uh, yeah. The answer would be that that the stock was worth more than that. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. So yeah, I'm talking to a millionaire, a multimillionaire. Well, I don't know if I'll go too far. This is a public document. <laughs> okay. I, I can substantiate the things, if you will. It's that my story to get to that end result didn't go the way it should have okay that's a whole nother story where the stock i had yeah i had a fight to keep the stock i had for various reasons i would love to do a podcast with the if i can say this word with the bastard that worked to screw me over but i got it all back it just took six more years oh my gosh yeah, through the legal process. That it's a great story, Nabucco. Uh, you want me to take one minute on the story? All right, this, okay. This, this is the story. Okay. The story is that when if you believe, if you believe you're right, yeah, because you've lived it. This is for any entrepreneur. If you believe you're right, and if anybody in your family or everybody or any friend you have tells you, Jim, give it up, forget it. It'll never happen. I didn't do that. I fought for, I, first it took six and a half, six years to find a lawyer to represent me for what they did, okay? 
over your, your stocks in um, an Orion. Okay. My stack in Orion. It took six years to find a lawyer. And where did I find him? I found him in a bar and he was an old college fraternity uh, in my fraternity. And but you school. had a, you, you, your buddy was a securities lawyer. That, yeah, this was, yeah. yeah. Why couldn't Rich he help you? Different, different expertise. Okay. okay, his, okay. Expertise, his expertise wouldn't have fit. Okay. Wouldn't all have right. Fit. Whereas, whereas um, Craig's expertise fit. Okay. He did, he did litigation work, principally in the insurance industry. Okay. But now he's, he said to me one day, anything I can ever do to help you? And of course, I said to him, that's probably the worst words you ever said to me. <laughs> But he took on the case and we were against the biggest law firm in the state of Wisconsin, 10th largest big, 10th largest firm in Wisconsin, 10th Wisconsin, largest firm in the country. Okay. And these guys document the crap out of you and they charge their client massive fees. Okay. Let's just say this. I was at 25 depositions. I had to give a thousand pages of deposition testimony over the course of one week and we won the case. And every single person that I have spoke about, family member, my wife, my kids, anybody that knew anything about this case told me to quit, give it up, go away. And so all I'm saying is for any entrepreneur out there, if you believe in what you're doing and you can, you can see a pathway to success, don't let other people talk you out of it. They but basically, it sounds like you knew you knew Neil. You trusted him, but he screws you over. Yeah, and then so when you asked me, or when when I said I called him a year and a half ago, the reason I called him was I finally decided that I'm going to call him and confront him on the telephone. Yeah, and all, and I, and we chatted, and I said, you know, Neil. I've always wondered why in the hell you screwed me over. Why'd yeah. you do that? He did not know what to say. He paused. He hesitated. His voice was, um, um, I listened to what others told me. And I said the name of two people that they're the bastards. I mean, I know who it was. And he said, yeah, I don't deal with any of those two anymore. And I said, you know what? And who told you a long time ago that you shouldn't have been listening to them? You did. Again, all, yeah, all internal stories because they're, they're, you know, one's arrogant as hell. He thinks he's a big shot. The other one is who knows what, it, you know, I mean, again, this is all subject to hours more of discussion. The element is that I confronted him because I really wanted to know what he said. Yeah. And I said, you know what? And again, I'm speaking for myself. I don't yeah. mean this other way. I said, you know what? It's the biggest damn mistake you made. Because yes. look what happened to your stock after I was not there anymore. Yes. Stock went from $22.48 to $8. Yeah. Just because of one conference call that he did and he made mistakes and he thought he did good. And, and we, those of us who knew, knew how he screwed up. And Again, listening to his other two big little henchmen, I'll call it his COO and his and his uh, COO, and they had been there. They both came after I had first started there, and I knew him well. But you see what happens when you start getting these successes, yes, and you start yes, seeing yes. you're going to make all kinds of money. 
What happens? There's a word called ego. Now, all of a sudden, you know everything better. Other people are expendable. We can toss them aside. All that matters is that I come out ahead. Screw the rest of you. And, And that individual that was the company henchman, I cannot tell you how many people he fired for reasons that are ridiculous. They should have got sued many times. But I also learned that that's the biggest problem that people have, the fear of the unknown in going forward against a company. And that is, I had, I had other people that got not to any degree as me of what they did. And I had them all set up to go after the company and they would have won because I did. And they got cold feet right at the end. They didn't want to go forward. And that's a problem because people always have, there's one of the two biggest words, fear and greed, fear, fear, fear. Oh, the COVID fear. Fear of what? Fear of uh, alienating the company. Fear of that, fear of their next job position that you get, you don't get a good review that you, you, that somebody along the way is going to say something bad about you. That's going to create adversity for you. You got to push through all that stuff. If you feel you're right and you know you're right, then don't back off and keep moving that ball forward. And so. And as for this entrepreneur who had charisma, who had people skills, ego got to him then. Oh, by, by four and five years into it, he and his, he and his wife who, who was so happy to get that, what she thought, $20,000 check that's now a $200,000 check. She was, oh, my says everything was great. And they were such humble, nice, warm folks, company gatherings and parties all the time. All of a sudden, when we have quarterly meetings of the officers, it was almost like the king and queen of England walking in. They were such royalty. It was unbelievable. The arrogance went this way. And you know, I bet you that's happened at other companies too. All the time. Does that, does that make you rather disillusioned about helping startups? Is that why you want to move on? Or do you think there's still fun in it? There's if, fun say, in- if, if the president gave you a pardon and said you can have your license back and you can you know, do what you like in helping startups, would you, go, go, would you do it again? You mean go back and really be actively yeah. involved in raising capital? Yeah, for startups. Uh, you know, I really want to do, again, more of what you and I are doing. <laughs> yes, podcasting. Yes, I know. But, you know, America is a country of entrepreneurs. And it's always oh, it fun, you know, finding right. new companies. You know, um, awesome. Apple of tomorrow, you know. No question. But there's, you know what, there's fun in trying, and I say this positively, there's fun in trying to expose things too for other aspiring entrepreneurs. I'm not here to suggest that 100,000 people are going to want to jump on my podcast. We, I think both know, takes a little time to build up your cast of characters. Yeah. But the element is that I think with experiences that I've had along the way, not only like my podcast, right, with lies, litigation, and, and, and uh, law, law, litigation, and lies. That doesn't mean I only want to talk about those three things. I was with my orthopedic surgeon last week. I had a hip replaced almost exactly a year ago. And it was follow-up time. 
and he's just retiring now. He's 65 years old. He is the greatest doc of all time, personable, cares about his people. And, and um, I actually said to him at the end, we talked for a half an hour about life, just about life and things. And, and I said to him, hey, John, would you want to do a podcast someday? And he goes, podcast? Well, my wife actually said that, that would, he should do that just apparently recently. He said, I'd love to do a podcast. And then I told him what it's called. He said, why would you want to do it on me? Because <laughs> I'm not called, you know, that's not about my title. But I said, I also want to be with fascinating people, right? Fascinating people. And, and there's a lot to be said for that because they can add lots of value. Yeah, I understand that. But I, I'm talking about your, your skills in helping startups. Yeah, You've I, had I, success. I mean, You've seen some yeah. people become really arrogant and lose their essential qualities and really losing themselves. But has that kind of a, um, given you a bad taste of, uh, of, of, of um, helping startups? Or is there still excitement there? Well, it's not easy. I mean, if you, you know, my, my kids used to say, Dad, why are you working on 12 or 14 companies? Why are you working on that many companies? And I would always say to them, okay, here's the list. You tell me which one is going to make it. Okay, okay, okay. You don't know. Yeah. You don't know which one's going to make it. And that's the thing. It takes a lot of time. Nabucco, I will tell you that for five when I was in litigation with Orion, when I was working with all these companies, I literally was right where I am for most weeks, 110 hours a week, sometimes 120. Okay. So for anybody that says, God, I work 50 hours a week. Really? I bet that's pretty hard. I've put in years of doubling that and more. I get you should be the entrepreneur, Jim. You've got the passion, you've got the drive, you've got hard. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got yeah, people no, skills. I... You should start your own business. <laughs> and that's what we're doing right here, right? Podcasting. I, mean, I, I would answer that by saying the book. I have another book in mind. Okay. I'm going to need some help on it, but I have another book in mind. I have a, and a third one, which is in the criminal justice field. So, I'm not here to tell you that those two are going to happen because it's too early to know. I know the first one's going to happen. Mm -hmm. That I know. Mm -hmm. Taking so damn long to get there, but I know it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious to see how this can work because of the social media that's out there today that wasn't some years back. Mm -hmm. I'm, I, I have no predictions. I don't know. But I know that, that it's kind of fun to move into some different areas. And I yes. really want to help, you know, I do help my wife and daughter with their business. They're mm -hmm. another perfect example of a startup 14 years ago. How do we make this work? And, and right now their first show is next weekend and they're preparing for that. They're in a food business, aren't they? Cooking, cookery. Fashion business. Right, exactly. You yeah. can't really see it, but outside, right over here, right out there is one of their trailers. Okay. And, and that business has gone from nothing to now being in fairs like the Wisconsin State Fair, the Minnesota State Fair. And the Minnesota State Fair is the biggest fair in the country on a daily 
the amount of people, 200 to 250,000 people a day come to that fair. It's a big deal. And so here we are in my own family. We've gone from an early stage zero, and this was right after Orion, yeah. to, you know, it's, it's working out pretty good. And now my son, who works at a bank, right? <laughs> and he gets exactly what, you, what we talked about before. He understands perfect. He's also a music producer. So he certain different genres and we've developed a studio in a different building downtown. Downtown means seven miles away. And so I really want to help. I want to help them. I've been helping. I've been helping my daughter for years, but I want to help my son more too. So it's kind of time where I don't want to have to go out and, you know, do do all of those things that Rich and I did, just like it's him. Hard work. He's really stressful. It's hard work. Yeah, and he's, really and he's for sure. I mean, the amount of fees and that he's dis- yeah, and it's a bit discouraging seeing you know the, the example like Orion, someone who's risen and kind of plateaued and yeah, and personality changed. I mean, it's yeah. human nature up to a point, but right. Yeah, I mean. And and it's and this this is this is just an example of what can and does happen out there. All the things that I feel I've experienced just at Orion can and do happen in plenty of other companies. Yeah, and I, I I'm probably it's happened with Bill Gates too. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and yeah, Steve sure. Steve Jobs too. And Amazon, look at yeah. Yeah, you know, and now Elon Musk throw him into it. I mean. Everybody's got to have a little luck along the way, right? Yeah. Things have to come together because again, if there wasn't some of that, then there'd be thousands of people that would be in the same boat as them. It just doesn't work that way. And it's also, just, you know, they, they get so successful and it just goes to their head and they lose their oh, direction. Imagine if you had $120 billion laying around. Yes, yes, I know, I know, I know, I know. I mean, just think, I mean, it's it's just overwhelming. It's overwhelming. I mean, if you only got $50 billion, I mean, I mean, how could you possibly survive like like uh, Michael Bloomberg? <laughs> you know, it's I, it's just, it's it's bizarre. But we're not quite in that world, right? Yes, you, yes. You and I are doing what we're doing. We're at a stage now where maybe you're going to keep doing this because you enjoy it. Yes. You're going to interview fascinating people. You went from an evolution of determining just what you're going to title your podcast in the beginning to where all of a sudden it really makes sense of what you are doing. And, and, and there can be a niche in that because if you have the time to keep doing it and doing it, yeah, it's not monetary in the beginning. We know that, but you just kind of keep at it and keep at it at the pace you choose to keep at it, figure out maybe a product to get in there somewhere along the way, whatever oh, that may be. Years ahead. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the, the, this experience counts. It really does. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, the, I'm telling everybody to be a podcaster. Okay. <laughs> because I think there's a podcaster in, in all of us. Everybody's got their stories. Yes. You're exactly right. Life yeah. stories. And there's value in that to somebody, right? We don't always know who those people are yet. But I mean, didn't Brian go through that? Yes. I mean, and also what getting- I found out is, you know, the mainstream media, mainstream media can't 
be truthful, if, even if they wanted to. Because they're always right. thinking about the masses, trying to find the right. common denominator. Right. Whereas yeah. with podcasting, we don't have to reach masses. No. We just be truthful and authentic, which That's will right. bring truth with you know, a certain number of people. Right. Truth. I totally agree. Truthfulness yeah. and authenticity. Yes. That's yeah. our... That's that, that 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 that's that's our strength. So we are in a completely different ball game. Yeah. And as long as you stay true, then you know it's going to resonate with yep. enough number of people. Yep. No, I agree. Yeah. So thank you very much, Jim. And uh, it's been very interesting. Um, I hope. Yeah, it's great that you've you're now applying your skills to your family members. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it is it is true. Yeah. You know, and, and again, I still work closely with the guy that is incarcerated. Now he's, it's been two and a half years of helping him and his family. Yeah. And uh, former highly successful guy. And he wants to kind of come back and rebuild once he gets out. Okay. We'll, rebuild we'll, his business. Yeah. Rebuild. Oh, his, that's great. Rebuild his business in, in various ways. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, but it, uh, um, it's, it, it, it's, you know, easy to say it's all good. So there's, there's so it many. It's all good. Yeah. It is. I mean, we both have lots of life lessons, life, life experiences, life situations. Imagine the kids in their twenties. They don't have any of those, right? They don't have those yet until they go through that process of victory and defeat. Cause those things do happen. And if you don't ever lose at something, you ain't trying hard enough. Well, you've been through a lot of tough times, and you said, um, "Tough time never lasts, but tough guy always does." Absolutely, and you're, you're a living example of that. So, thank you very yeah. much, Jim. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. Good luck with your with helping more entrepreneurs inside yeah. the family or outside, because I think it's a very yeah. exciting area. And good yep. luck with your book writing and podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nabucco. Great.